Episode 36, Carpet Swagger. Welcome to episode 30 of the Adventures and Lolly Kagging Podcast. <laughs> Why don't I look that stuff up before we start an episode? I don't remember. What? 36? Is it 36? All right. Wow. We are closing in on 40. We haven't played in like three weeks, uh, which is which is pretty rough, uh, especially considering how the last episode ended. Uh, do you all remember how the last episode ended? Yeah, we came back in town and yeah. it was new. Maybe like society sort of taken over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of shifts. Uh, I was actually referencing the fact that Erwin died, but oh, that's, was that, yeah, uh, that, that's that happened. Yeah. We lost a character. It's the second time. It's, awful. it's only the right side of the table uh, that, that people die on. Uh, Don't sit over your guess. Cause both long <laughs> and coder who have both lost characters now are sitting to my right. Uh, everybody else, Josh must sit across from me. Ashley sits to my left. Uh, they're all fine. They're all fine. But yeah, we had a death, and then you get back to Verdum. The governor's nest is on fire. All sorts of explosions as kegs of gunpowder are just going off left and right. And you it's a new order. It's a new day. Under uh, new management. Under new management. You all, I think you had a little meeting with the, uh, with the new management, with the town council. Some of the faces you recognize, right? Remember, I mean, Loudon was on it, for instance, and Zelda Brandenburg and Babbler. Yeah. Uh, Markov is just one of those guys who I think is going to survive no matter what. He's just going to find a way. Cockroach. And everything's going to be. Well, that's a little strong. (laughs) 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 The tailor. Uh, Yeah. So the tailor. Yeah. Who uh, I got to say, I was, you know, Bear was getting some possibly weird vibes, but couldn't quite place it. Right. I think I think mm-hmm. all of us as as people and players know who that guy was, but yeah. I don't think Bear put it together yet. <laughs> yeah. So sometime down the road, maybe there'll be a reckoning or a confrontation uh, that. Wait a minute. Like he's gonna, you're gonna suddenly pull off his head, and it's gonna be a mask, and you're really like, it's old man Withers. All the time. No, they're gonna be dating for like two years, and then oh. Josh is gonna look over and be like. Yeah. You try to kill me. It's going to be like, it's going to be, he's going to come out of the shower, right? Colin, you know, Colin's going to come out of the shower one day, the tailor, and the water's going to be falling in the back. And then with the sound of the water and the sound of his voice at the same time, Bear's going to think back to the waves and then uh, that's it. That's yep. what it's going to be. It's going to click. I don't know. It's that long con. It's wow. going to be rough. A long con Lynn is his name. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> I think we got our episode title. Ah. Uh, but we lost. Yeah, we lost. We lost Erwin, which is just kind of how you doing. It's been three weeks. He died so cool, though. I thought he died pretty cool. I'm doing good. Yeah, way better than the way Chovy died. No, actually, Chovy died pretty. Cool. Oh, a cliff, man. Well, I mean, you survived the cliff. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's, right. That's true. Those tiny legs. So uh, I appreciate Coder filling out one of those death certificates. And I, I posted it over on our little bulletin board with all of our clues. Uh, so Coder filled it out for us. You never fill one out for Chovy. We should, we should go back mm. and make sure we do that and just kind of collect them. And uh, 
by the end of this campaign, we'll have a nice big collection of this kind of stuff. Just a big old binder. (laughs) I can't wait. Uh, So we are going to start because we had a whole episode where Coder didn't get to play because there was, there was a way to get Coder's character, new character into the campaign uh, last time, last episode, but you guys went. That's what happened to me. That's what happened right. to me. Yeah, it happens. You know, I mean, it's, it's fine. We, I don't want to like artificially be like, hey, you guys need one more? You know, like it's like a golf course. It's somebody's just looking for the third, the fourth person in the foursome. I want it to be like a little bit more authentic, natural, organic, like like vegetables and fruit and stuff. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Uh, it got really weird. But we're going to start <laughs> with uh, the fun little side story uh, in which Coder will play a starring role. We'll get to learn about his new character. Uh, but we're going to try something a little fun. This is my own little, little, little mini game. Coder and I are going to talk about this. We're going to get this character in. little side story, a view of recent events from his character's perspective, which was different than yours. Okay. But periodically, I might turn to one of you, because this is like an improv thing. Okay. And I might call upon you to create something, to describe what is seen, to describe a character, to describe a dog, a chicken, whatever. So like, if I say, if I say it a long, long, uh, a, a, someone comes out of the shadows and is, is attacking Coder's new character, uh, what are they attacking him with? Uh, 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 a pillow. A pillow, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. A baby. And Josh, that's how you do it. That's improv. Amazing. Exactly. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. Cameron's going to fade in on a small fighting pit about a dozen individuals, various stages of practice, supervision, etc. There have been these wooden targets that have been set alongside a wall of the pit into which various spears and arrows and hand axes periodically in bed have been thrown. You can hear the dull thud, thud, as a blade hits wood. You can see that there's all sorts of scarred and armor-clad individuals that are hacking away at each other. And when you look closely, you realize they are real weapons. But they don't really seem to be leaving heavy, horrible wounds. There's an erratic chorus of clinking metal, grunts, and even growls and snarls from dogs that seem to have been chained up at specific intervals around the pit and other sounds also beastly coming from vents in the ground as if there are cells below this pit and something seems to inhabit them. Above the pit are these raised seats, perhaps room for 10 to 20 people at most. And above those seats, there is a vaulted ceiling from which hang crude chandeliers giving off flickering firelight by these carefully placed lanterns. They sway occasionally as a cold gust of wind comes from between the roof's support columns and throws snow on the upper levels of this small arena. Beyond those columns is more snow, heavy snow, and wind and many other buildings within a compound that's commonly known as the Governor's Nest home to about 50 or more individuals, mostly servants and guards and blood wardens, but also Governor Polk, 
who you all have not met, his wife, Reyna, and various other folks and cousins and nobility that made the trip and have lived with them for some years. Today, at a very early hour in the morning, the governor does not attend the fighting man, does not observe the various criminals, debtors, thieves, murderers that he has or his blood wardens have carefully curated in the Cold Irons prison to provide entertainment for those that inhabit this manor. One such criminal, an elf, drags his booted foot through the dirt of the pit, carefully keeping his balance as two other fighters begin to flank with dulled sword blades in their hands. All three have cold iron cuffs around their wrists and ankles, but they are currently not attached to chains. Coder, if you'd like to further describe this elf, give me two or three specific things that people would see. Just two or three. You don't need the driver's license. Sure. Uh, You see that even though Uh, He's fairly tall. He's hunched over. It's very obvious that there was some sort of uh, injury in the past where he's got a humpback kind of thing. And his jaw doesn't quite line up like it's supposed to. And he has this gaze when you look at him like he's going to eat you for his next meal. Now, on either side of him, a fighter encroaches. Josh, what does one of them look like? Uh, one of these fighters, he's bald, got a, got a beard, scars all over his face, missing an eye. Uh, he's ready to, ready to fight. He's crouched down low, slowly moving around this elf. And the second one seems to be taking up a flanking position, Ashley. What does this one look like? He's like really bloated. And he's got like these like kind of like pungy or like pudgy cheeks and watery eyes. And he's crouched down like a frog, like ready to just leap. And both, both of these individuals, almost as if they were timing it to perfection, coinciding with this almost bark-like sound coming from a heavy set red and gray haired man leaning against the wall. Go to strike the elf. Go ahead and roll. 42% is what you're trying to hit. Both of you go ahead and roll attacks to see if you can. Fail. Okay. Yes. So you manage to duck out of out of the way of one of them pretty easily. And the second one swings at you. Go ahead and roll. Let's try to parry. Haha. <laughs> no. No. And even though you're able to duck underneath the one, you feel the dull blade cut across the hump on your back and maybe maybe you try to withstand wincing a little bit because this is not the audience to show pain in front of the darkly dressed and heavy set blood warden gray and red hair that was barking the order to attack is clearly in his older years He's leaning against the wall. He's got one leg kind of propped up. He pushes himself off the wall a bit. And you can hear him just making a slight exhale of disappointment, shaking his head. And he says, 
You're getting slow in your old age, Stegis. The young ones are going to replace you soon. Not if I have anything to say about it, they will not. <laughs> he nods, momentarily accepting of that answer, and then calls for a break. And all of the fighters begin to move towards this large water barrel the side of the pit. And they each are taking scoops of water from these wooden ladles, sloppily drinking. The blood warden, who you know as Fracas, grabs you by the arm and kind of pulls you aside. And he says, The governess is going to see the wood witch again. You've done this before. I expect you to do it again. I need more. Those I can trust. A guard duty. Pick two or three others that you know can listen and be ready in an hour. Very well. So, as he opens up a gate, and starts stepping up these stairs, you can see that he eventually exits this little arena and leaves out into the snow. Meanwhile, a couple smaller individuals, not nearly as renowned and well-respected as Fragus, uh, start ushering the various fighters in the pit down these other hallways that begin to descend further into the ground. And you're returned to your cell. The tunnels between where the pits sit and where your cells are, maybe 30 yards at most. And all of the fighters, and again, there's about a dozen, give or take, are thrown into their various cells, bedrolls on the ground and not much else. What does the inside of Stekis' cell look like? It's very empty, just a bed and a lot of room for him to exercise and try and keep fit so he can fight. Across the way in another cell, you can see that there is a kind of a figure whose arms are leaning through the bars and is just sort of slack there. Seems to be chewing on something. Long, what do they look like? Uh, it looks like he's wearing a carpet for an outfit. Uh, he's got a couple of scars along his legs. Seems like he's a sort of fighter with these as the feet. So as you stare around the room, you see the carpet wearing fighter. You see the bald man. You see the bloated one. And then you see in the corner another figure. It looks like what, Melissa? He's going to be a dwarven female. Um, missing an arm, but the re arm, the other arm and legs are, you know, kind of thick in uh, Damn. compensation. Damn. She's going to be a successful pit fighter with one arm. I don't know if I want to go near her, but you know in your mind that these are probably the best choices for you. And so an hour later, Fragas returns with a handful of other house guards and they lead you to a small armory where they load you up on some basic leather armor 
they give you a choice of weapons. This is not your first times going off on one of these. Prisoners, though you may be, some of you like what you do. Others are resigned to the fact that should you try to run, you'll be hunted down. The governor has that kind of reputation, after all, as a hunter. And eventually, you're led topside. Stekis, you see that the snow is heavy. Very, very heavy, and not at all suited for travel. Maybe you express this, maybe you don't. But certainly there's a look on your face that Fragus looks at. And he says to you, Getting uh, hesitant in your age, are you, Stegis? More of the weather than my age. Hmm. And you see him kind of flex his arm and his elbow. Yes. The cold does awful things to the joints. And one of the others that are in your small groups shouts out. And you can tell that they're the new green person that no one really cares for. We're gonna... We're going traveling in this or you met. And Fragus looks says, We're taking the caves down. Let us go settle up. And you are all led to a different building. And you can see that two horses, just two, despite the fact that there's like six or seven people, are getting saddled up. One for Fragus, and then one for another figure who arrives about 30 minutes later. It's it's Raina Poke, the governess. She's dressed in these warm, fine furs that have been carefully and custom tailored, no doubt. She wears a mask over the bottom of her face just for warmth, and her eyes are fairly dark, hard to ignore as they're outlined by these shaded inks and powders. Rarely do you all get to see a full view of her face uh, but it happens from time to time. Uh, Fragus helps her into the saddle uh, of a small black horse. And he climbs atop another. And then the rest of you, including Stekis, are expected to travel on foot. You hear a voice call out uh, from the balcony of the governor's main home, the largest building uh, in this area. And you all can see from the third level, Governor Polk with a hand gloved, raised. Uh, his wife waves back. You see Fragus do a small bow. And then when he looks back at you all, expecting the rest of you to do something as well, do any of you follow suit? Yeah, Frogman bows. Ball guy's gonna spit on the floor. As you do that, you feel a hard crack of something across the back of your head as you see one of the house guards has taken this this big blunt club just whack you over the back. It's a common penalty for disrespect. The rest of you? Just a curt nod. Okay. I follow as well. Dwarf as well. Okay. So then you're led to this mountain path on the northern side the manor in the back and you head up this winding path to a cave opening that's 
about 40 yards up the mountain a little further. The whole manor is on these two tiers, kind of split. And this is the upper of the two tiers. And the bloated-faced man reaches into a pack that he was given back in the armory and starts handing torches out. Not yet. Not yet lit, obviously, to each one of you. And then Frogus looks at all of you. Your primary job here is to ensure the safety of Lady Raina. Should any harm befall her, it shall be returned upon you one hundredfold. And he just says this matter-of-factly, all of you just not really caring, whatever. You've heard a thousand threats of this type. It, what's one more to add to the list? And then, it looks as though he was about to say something more when suddenly he's interrupted. As a horn sounds in the distance somewhere, can't quite figure out where, and he hesitates. It's not on, there's horns that are sometimes sounded, but bells as well, as various people are called. This confuses him. Stekis, roll a hard awareness test. I rolled a hundred. Kind of look, scan the horizon, see if there's anything amiss. Doesn't seem to be. Frogus, after taking like a nod from you, which is probably one of the one of the, the house guards signaling somebody visiting for the day or something. And so Frogus continues there at the, the mouth of the cave. Whatever you witness this day must be held in the strictest of confidence. Should anyone not abide by this, first their tongue will be separated from their body. And again, mid-sentence, another horn blast sounds. He starts to trail off the rest of his speech, seeming kind of half-hearted and rehearsed. And should disloyalty persist, your body shall be separated from its head. And he's kind of like looking out into the heavy snows, seeing if he can find anything. He passes back and forth in front of the cave opening, and he overlooks the manor below. He can't really see a whole lot because of the snow. He points to the carpet man. I still don't know what the hell I'm looking at. Is he like wearing a lot of furs? I have like picturing like... a rolled up carpet. Yeah, the... No, it's just I'm like picturing. a rug cut out with the head so he can wear it over like a poncho almost. Okay, yeah. I like it. So he, he, he points to you and uh, he says, you, scout the caves ahead. And then to Stekis, he says, take up, take up the rear. And as you all begin to enter into the cave opening, the ceiling above you suddenly rattles and bits of dust and rock fall on top of you all, not in any way that would harm you, as an explosion erupts somewhere on the grounds of the manor. I need all of you to make standard resolve tests. Pass. What are we aiming for? 42%. Pass. Just giving you the average. Crit fail. Okay. 
just failed. I failed. I got 43. Okay. So, Carpet Man starts to panic. I'm not fit for this, guys. And you see him bolt further inward into the cave, disappearing into the darkness. Hasn't even lit the torch. Fragus perturbed by it, but is more concerned, it seems, with the explosion that happened below. Bald man and bloated man begin gibbering and freaking out. What, what the hell's going on? As, as the Lady Raina, we should get off the horse. It's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Raina. <laughs> The cave's gonna fall in on us. We're all gonna die. I'm not we're gonna <laughs> breathe again. I can't breathe. And you feel uh, again one of those hard cracks across your back as one of the house guards that had been going with you uh, just hit you. But they too themselves look very scared. But Fraga says, "Steal yourselves." And the fool go off too as he looks into the darkness. Both Reyna and Fragus exchange these confused looks. Is Stekus doing anything? Looking around and seeing if he notices like more damage to the roof for it to actually cave in. So as you look around, the roof's okay, but since you're in the back and you're like the last to enter into the cave, you you can also look out to the manor itself and you can see that the roof of the the small arena where you all do your fighting has collapsed inward as a two large trees that were historically off to the west of it have been uprooted and have fallen on top of it sinking it to the ground Uh, you can see also that there are these black plumes of smoke that are beginning to erupt from the copes of trees where they had fallen from and flames have started to crackle not just on the trees themselves but up the entire uh, the entire trunk of the two trees that fell igniting the whole pit area you can hear even at this distance like barely uh like the the howls of animals and people who are literally underneath there uh the animals specifically but there might have been also people inside the pit reina gives like this signal this little frantic nod uh at at fragus and then you see him grab the arm the good knight and i do mean that because there's only one (laughs) of the dwarven pit fighter with one arm. Yes. And then also of Stekus. And he says, you too, with me. And then to the to the bloated one and to some of the house guards, he says, take her further into the cave, protect her. If anything befalls her, I will murder you and everyone you have ever cared about. And he doesn't wait for a response. He just turns around. And I imagine bloated person is just sort of like, I love Lady Raina. <laughs> Raina's like, can I, can I come with you? Please? <laughs> uh, all right. He's just ready. So Fragus, Stekus, and the one-armed dwarf begin heading back. He, Fragus is still on his horse at this point. Why don't you go ahead and make a standard awareness test now, Stekis, as you're moving back down the path you came, hurrying to the manor to see exactly what's happening. 95. Look around and you see evidence of nothing, but then you hear another explosion on the east side of the manor, and 
You can see the smoke, but you can't quite place where it where it where it exploded. And then, as Frogus like whips around to shout like one last order to the people who are going to the cave, you hear a as an arrow comes flying from above, landing and hitting the horse, and the horse rears up a bit. Frogus manages to steady himself, and he's like, into the cave, protect her! And then a second arrow comes down, and you see it take him, like, right in the neck. He falls off the horse, and you see the horse just, like, moving around and starts to starts to bolt, but then remembers its training and stays still, surprisingly, as if this is no mere palfrey. I think that's a horse term. I'm not really sure. <laughs> Fragus starts like reaching up at both the dwarf and Stekis at this point. We'll drag him back to safety. So you pull him behind the horse, and the horse is literally putting themselves between Fragus yourself. Yeah, what is Stekis doing? Trying to see where it came from. You look, yeah. and you can't see I can't anything. So that's why he would do. He, he reaches up, <laughs> and he's trying to like pull you down. I'll close to him. see what he wants. He says, We are under attack. He's kind of holding his neck and blood is just gushing out of it. Just holding it, holding it. Go to the governor. Protect him. And he rips this patch off of his armor and he shoves it into your hands, covered in blood. You look down and you see an insignia the house of poke i'll take it and start heading towards the manor he says you call do this and you're free ensure safety in you ah free what's a dwarf doing stan are you gonna go help i'll go help says the two of you begin running down you manage to make it down to the main level where the manor house is, where the pit pit fighting arena is. All havoc has started to break loose. The guardhouse and pit and the stables seem to have been partially destroyed or lit on fire, burning. The wind and snow is whipping around, but it's not enough to, to quell the flames. Black smoke has begun to mix with white snow, and both of you can't help but just cough. Like you just, it's just becoming intense now. Dozens of individuals, servants, wardens assigned to the nest, uh, house house guards have begun to make like bucket chains uh, from like the stable troughs and from some of the dug wells. They're trying to put out some of the fires. Some people are shoveling snow on top uh, as well, uh, doing whatever they can. But every so often, another explosion begins, uh, a little distant here and there. As the two of you are running back towards the main house where you last saw the governor on the third floor. You notice uh, that these cloaked figures suddenly begin to emerge from the snow in all directions. They have these heavy white cloaks that seem to have partially obscured them in their approach. They reveal these masks of bone, these large swords and clubs that they're swinging down onto anyone who carries weapons. You see them burst through the chain uh, the bucket chain, taking people out, cleaving full limbs off of those who are unawares of their approach. Dozens 
of these figures begin uh, to come in from all directions. From the balcony above, you can see the governor still in the same third story balcony, begins to shout orders. He's flanked on either side, but these red clad blood wardens in very official proper gear. And from somewhere ahead, a streak of pink fire emerges from a wall of white snow, angling upwards at the balcony, searing one of the governor's guards who frantically tries to pat out the fire, but in doing so begins to set a curtain ablaze. And then the wall, the other the other guards trying to pat it out while the one that is literally on fire frantically disappears inside. Moments later, the governor does as well. As the two of you run towards the front of the governor's manor house, the, the closest door, the major explosion that some of you heard while coming up the road goes off. The house itself erupts, sending stone and wood flying in all directions. The two of you are taken off your feet. Both row coordination tests at hard. 92. 94. Stekis sucks. <laughs> Have you passed anything? One. Have you rolled lower than 90? One time. Okay. One time. How, how did the dwarf do? 94. Both of you are taking completely off your feet. After a moment, disorientation. Your eyes open up, Stekis. You look around for any sign of anything. There's a ringing in your ears now. And you can see that there is a, a few figures that have now started to surround you. One must be well over six foot tall as this immense greatsword in their hand has this bleached yellow-white bone face as these black raven-like feathers erupting from the collar around this heavy cloak. You look for your weapon and it is not within reach. And he holds his blade down to your face. Kind of like turns and looks at you. And you can see that the blade at any point, he could very easily kill you. But then you watch as the tip of the blade moves towards your sleeve. And with the, with the tip, he drags the cuff up, revealing the cold iron manacle that they often chain you to the walls if you were to misbehave or act up. In some cases, chain you to a second fighter or a creature for different kinds of, of battles. And you hear, this one has been bound by the governor. And then pulls up the other sleeve and sees this brand that you have that all pit fighters have that have been forced into the governor's service. Branded. How interesting. And you look to your right and you can see that the one-armed dwarf is being dragged in your direction as well. 
by somebody of similar similar garb. This one too. Well, rejoice, brother, sister, we, all your liberators. And then he reaches down a hand to help you up, Stekis. I'll take it. Ah, our quarrel lies not with you, but with those who chain you, branded you. And they offer the same thing to the dwarf. She'll accept. They start dusting the snow off of you. And he pulls this blade, maybe about a foot long, out of his belt, scabbard that's there. And you see, as he hands it to you, with the, the now free hand, he waves another one of his compatriots over who comes dragging one of the house guards over with them. Our cause is aligned, brother. Oh. Now, let our anger marry. And you can see from the way in which they place this house guard on their knees in front of you. There's, there's an implication implying something. Harness that anger! I'm gonna take the sword and go through one side of the ribcage and try and make him start to drown specifically in that lung. Excellent. And then they do the same thing to the dwarf. She is a little more tentative but understands that this is necessary, so she also obliges. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And they, with a flick of the wrist, he directs the others that were surrounding you, and they immediately disperse, almost as if in well-planned formations, going in certain directions, a few diving into the manor itself, and he turns to look at you, removes the mask. Go now, brother, sister, you deserve respite in the city before the next chapter unfolds. We will find you again. He looks at this point directly at you. Stekis, his face, this taut, disgusting mess, the nose non-existent, just a hole. The cheekbones are at their most pronounced. The skin has almost been folded over. And he leans in very close. And she will call to your kind. She always does. And then he puts the mask back on and you see him hustle away and into the manor. End scene. What? Camera opens. 
We're back to Verdum. Inside the clinic, Erwin is not there because he's dead. But Sophia is. I didn't. Uh, I didn't do that on purpose. I just had a brain fart. <laughs> oh no! So I didn't mean to turn into a burn. That's gonna happen. But in case anyone didn't know, Erwin's dead. Uh, but you can see that Sophia and Bear and Lavinia had gone to the clinic, and Hubert, I believe, had gone to the box elder. And the clinic was overflowing with various injuries. Nothing too serious. The biggest problem was that Doc Quali was actually among those injured. Uh, Somewhat seriously. uh, With a pretty terrible head wound. And Charlotte and Charlotte's neighbor Tim, the medic who had saved Lavinia the night she went hysterically blind, the two of them are doing their best. Lavinia, you should probably spend some time helping out as well. But eventually, Charlotte explained to you all one of the reasons why there was such a problem. And that was Doc Coley was attacked. Not only attacked, but it seems that she was attacked by Bruno and Cressida, Roderick perhaps, as the four of them, the three of them plus Chadwick, are missing. Maybe one or two of you look to chase after and figure out where they went. But the snows are particularly heavy that day. And they're no longer suggesting anyone leave. And so while while many of you might want to go hunting after and try to find Bruno, you all have just returned. Bear can still still is having trouble using his main hand. You just lost your friend, and Charlotte beseeches you for help at the clinic and suggests that tracking down Bruno and Cressida and Roderick will have to wait. And so the rest of the day passes. The snows don't get any lighter. And periodically, you go by and ask various guards who are at the gates about, have you seen this or that? And there's a vague recognition. They say many people come in and out, especially of late, and it's hard to really tell. And even though there is still some semblance of order, it's not nearly as structured as it had been Specific duty times are uncertain. Some wardens turn, some wardens didn't. Those that didn't, you've learned, have been rounded up, have been placed either within the jail cells in the barracks with both Jonas Fair and Ralph Wilhelms or in the landing office uh, where they are being on, uh, they're on close guard by all of these different insurgents who, those that seem to be the most active, have these blue cloths wrapped around their arms, kind of signifying the closest thing to a uniform. Uh, So it's hard to kind of get anyone to really give you the kind of information you need. So in this like 24 to 48 hour period, while the snows are too heavy to really allow for, for travel, 
what are you all doing in this time? This is the next day. Yeah, gonna, it's going to be, it's, they, it's likely going to be a day to two or three before the snows will relent enough to allow for travel. Um, Charlotte has offered, especially with the help of Lavinia and to put you up again, despite what happened last time. But she gives you she gives you a place to stay for now. Probably be going around just asking people that seen a corpulent fella with uh can't remember what weapon he used. I don't but... remember either. I believe it was a mortuary sword, I want to yeah. say. Okay. Yeah. And with the frail elf lady. Okay. Just just asking around, see if someone left looking like that. Okay. Roll a rumor check. Make it at routine. Crit success. As you're asking questions, you're getting a lot of answers, actually. Um, when you put the group together, corpulent fella, one leg lady, uh, maybe you also describe Roderick, the kind of strange, strange man. Um, you hear stories that Bruno specifically was shopping pretty consistently, pretty heavily uh, within a day or two of the, the insurgency kind of triggering was collecting, was kind of going around to a lot of different places on crafters row, overpaying for things to get certain things crafted more quickly uh, to get winter gear, uh, to get a second horse to help pull the cart and a variety of other things. Uh, and Wait, whenever... our cart? What's that? Our... Yes. <laughs> when you continue a- asking around, you learn that they left out of the Western Gate. You speak to some people at the Box Elder who also remember Bruno asking like these strange questions about were there any other you know questions about like uh, old stones and you know, like like religious stones or, or some sort of landmarks. Like he was asking, were there any more? And one of the bartenders at the Box Elder uh, like gives you this little scrap piece of paper that has this really terribly crude drawing uh, of something that Bruno had, had sketched. And it was looks just like the thing that you saw at the site where Gavril initially disappeared. And then later, uh, the several stones over by Afun's Refuge. And then when you speak with Loudon, uh, Loudon uh, tells you, uh, yes, I I did see him. I didn't understand what was happening. One moment, and you see him kind of disappear out of the office, and he comes back, and you see him carrying the chest. And he drops it down in front of you, and then he reaches into his coat, and he pulls out a note. Your friend... Uh, left this for you. Mm. Uh, he, uh, I think we are friends no longer. Sorry to hear that. There have been many changes recently that we're all trying to learn to live with. Uh, but I, did, I didn't know. If I would have known that he was going to attack the doctor, I would have, I would have stopped him. I thought he was just... I, I thought he was just preparing for when you all return. Very sorry. 
That's all right. I, I don't blame you for what happened. So when you look into the chest, about half the money that was in is gone. Uh, there's still some, but there's quite a bit. Remember, he bought a horse, a second horse. Your cart is no longer around. But at the same time, you all do actually have a wagon still, uh, <laughs> if you recall. So you've actually upgraded. That was one of the, the wagons from the monarchy's mines. And the monarchy has just been overthrown. So I'm not sure if anybody here is specifically going to try to take that wagon and those horses back from you, uh, the ones that did survive. So I doubt the ones that were that you were riding alone, uh, you don't have. The two that were pulling the, the wagon, you still do. Uh, we'll say that they're probably parked over by Charlotte's somewhere, uh, a nearby stable. And the wagon itself might be locked up tight by Charlotte's place. Uh, do you want to read that letter or shall I? Uh, yeah, I can read it. Go for it, buddy. All right. It reads, my friends, I am sorry. Not for what I have done, but that I could not tell you directly. Something calls me north. It has grown louder since we arrived and even more so after my injury. After Emily. Prasita hears it too. She says if I show her what we discovered out there, the waystones she calls them, and with the help of Roderick and the boy, she says that she can find her, the one that calls us. There are signs, there, is, there have always been signs. It is so hard to explain. Cressida says I should, not I should not be able to hear her, and because I can, that I must be special. I must have potential. When the end comes, I will have a role. No one has ever seen potential in me before. Not even Emily. <laughs> That's so sad. Uh, I've taken the cart and our horse so Cressida and the boy can rest. I will look after him so you do not need to worry. I took some money to buy supplies, but much of the silver is still there. Our errand seemed foolish for so long, but it led me to a purpose. I hope to see you all again before everything ends. Goodbye. Love, Bruno. Smooches. Doesn't say love, Bruno. Doesn't say smooches. <laughs> Editorial. Did you read that? <laughs> and that is what your critical success gives you. Great. So what is everybody else doing in this time? He could have been working a job like all the time. He was doing nothing. Yeah. Getting that his own money. Technically, by the way, a clue as well. Ooh. Oh. Oh. Lavinia is working with Charlotte. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. You, uh, I would imagine you probably have designs on, on spellcraft, signing spells, but the weather going, trying to She find. really wants to go visit the Wood Witch. Yeah, but the weather is kind of making that a little bit dicey yeah. right now. We haven't met her before, right? You have not. You've heard mention. Yeah. Okay. Um, she's one of those... Uh, everyone knows, but no one really asks too many questions type of thing. Okay, so you were, you were working the whole time? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead and roll an eavesdrop test at routine. Fail. Okay. You overhear various things from time to time, like as you're working and bandaging people, listening in, but uh, nothing too, 
too outrageous. Uh, there's a lot of people who, who mentioned the new Taylor and, and it just says, you know, there, a lot of people seem to be happy with the change. Uh, there's a lot of talk about what happened at the nest. Uh, the ex like they heard the explosions down here. There was something of an avalanche at one point, like the snow kind of came off a ridge. It was kind of disturbing. Um, but the visibility isn't such that anyone can really see up there. Mm -hmm. uh, people have been coming in. They've mentioned several times that there's all these others that have been coming down the mountain, some very injured, some not, some not so friendly looking as well. Uh, but they're being let in. Everyone is welcome so long as they are introduced to the powers that be and they're given the lay of the land. Uh, but you don't really learn anything too noteworthy. Uh, what is... Uh, what is old Hubert doing this time? Uh, coming back from the trek up top, he's gonna meet first meet with Charlotte, get his reward for protecting. Absolutely, drugs, of course, yes. Mm -hmm. And then he's gonna spend time uh, gathering with the militia that they have going, see what they okay. have to offer. Okay. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and roll a resolve test, considering everything you've been through, and considering Irwin just recently died? Go ahead and let's make this uh, challenging. What exactly is this resolve for? Just to see uh, how much of the stuff you take. Okay. Oh, I failed. She gives you six doses. It's not inexpensive. Uh, she thanks you for your service. Uh, and she says that come back in a week and I will give you more. So basically she's thinking one every day. But after everything that went happen, you just... You like you take you take half of it that night. Nice. So three pieces. So three points of corruption, and your first night back, there are reports of a man speaking to horses as if they could speak back. Of being near the the outhouses and of talking into the walls and. There's a lot of these descriptions of some sort of lunatic doing something and strange things here and there. And you wake up the next day with a terrible, terrible headache, freezing. And you're in the street somewhere. Your boots are missing. Your cloak is missing. But luckily, that is all. And you're going to go ahead and also take uh, 11 points of physical peril from trying to sleep on the streets at night that first night completely drugged out of your mind. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. What are you going to do for the rest of the time? I was going to join with the army or whatever yeah. they're building. So when you head over, uh, Gus and Sonia have been identified as the leaders of this particular group have taken over for Ralph Wilhelms. Uh, and they are the two that have some sort of experience in the in this particular field and they also don't have incredible love for what they've been going through lately uh, at the same time they're not outright haters but i think as you come and look for something to do they see you in your current state you do not at all hide the the issue your fall back from sobriety well 
your hair is disheveled, your face half frozen, your lip, almost like you had a stroke recently. You guys have an extra pair of boots. I'm missing mine. They look at you and they take pity and they give you a pair of boots back. But they say to you, um, until you're capable of making it through the night without this being the state that you're in, I don't think we can trust you to patrol the streets or watch a gate. We'll have to find your employment elsewhere. And used to those sort of rejections for jobs because of my states, I'll, I'll just wander around elsewhere. Okay. All right. And then Sophia, what is, what is she doing over the, in the course of this time? Sophia is going to go off by herself towards the water. Careful um, of the sirens. Maybe grab a glass jar from a glass bottle from Charlotte's and a piece of paper. Sophia's going to go down to the water and just sort of sit on the dock. And she's reflecting of the group that she came here with. Emily's disappeared. Chovy's disappeared. Irwin's dead. Bruno is apparently now following some woman up north and kidnapping kids and hurting the doctor. And so she's pretty distressed about kind of the state of this group, kind of where she finds herself. She definitely spends some time crying over the loss of Irwin and, you know, kind of resetting a standard, kind of seafaring, you know, the waves will never bring you to a new port kind of a thing, you know, given their shared history on the water. And she will take out the note, the piece of paper, and write a note to Alfie. And and it's just not a lot of words, just, you know, thought the city was bad. But evil is everywhere. And I'm not sure where... I should go, but maybe life is better for you. And so she'll put that in the kind of glass bottle and toss it out in the water. Okay. I thought you were about to write like a suicide note and like jump in the water. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's getting kind of dark. Yeah. So while you're out here, why don't you go ahead and roll an awareness test? Challenging. Fail. We do have rerolls. Okay. Wow. You don't have to. That was easy. <laughs> Just reminding people. It's been three weeks. It was trivial. Remember they Did yes. totally forget. Failed worse. Okay. You catch the contours of a sail somewhere in the distance to the south. It seems to you to not necessarily be the safest thing in the winds to have this up. As you wait for a little while, you you see it appear again between like the winds and the snow. It's fairly dark looking. Seem to see it kind of going on a an eastward path. 
coming from the west, rounding the cape, the peak where Verdum sits. It just kind of shows every now and then you, you squint your eyes as best you can, and you just can't quite see it. And then, just as you're about to turn around and go back to the town, there's this small lull in the wind and snow, just this very ever so slight lull that lasts 30 seconds. Things just die down. And strangely, the waves that have been lapping against the dock and the shore also just suddenly slow as if the roughness begins to smooth out. And you see, you don't know how far off maybe half a mile. It's the longest you've been able to see in probably two weeks with how the weather has been. You see this dark shape of a ship, not the one that you came on. And it's got a very tall mast of some kind. And you swear it's towing something and when you follow the tow cable you can see this other dark shape behind it you know oh, it might just be towing a smaller ship maybe they've gotten lost makes sense but it's whatever it's towing is writhing like it's moving in some way and then the wind kicks up and you lose sight of it, heading off in a northeasternly direction. You're going to go ahead and take uh, nine points of mental peril as this kind of chill begins to run down in a way that's different than the cold that you've been feeling almost constantly. After a couple days, things begin to die down a bit in the sense that the snows begin to lessen. Whatever storm that has been blanketing uh, the ruin has, has moved on. The front has gone further eastward or westward, I should say. And you can see lots of people have started to come out into the streets and are, are in the process of kind of clearing off roofs, making sure that the snow and the ice doesn't pack and, and, and kind of collapse their roofs. You're seeing people are kind of clearing out the, the streets themselves. People are kind of going back to work more regularly in ways that they didn't necessarily do. If you didn't know any better, everything was just the same. The fourth day, when you wake up, you look out and for the first time in two weeks, there isn't a cloud in the sky and everyone has clear view of the manor up in the Felrock Mountains that the smoke has cleared. But the largest building that was visible even from here is no more. This shard rubble of some kind that is now barely visible. 
And that becomes the talk of the day as people are cheering at this victory. They're saying, you know, liberation. Uh, the new town council seems to be getting a lot of the credit for this, for keeping things together. Conlon gives this lovely speech in front of the box elder one day, encouraging everyone to live their lives, be good neighbors. Whatever we do now, we do for ourselves. And we do it for the benefit of us, our neighbors, etc. Very, very loving rhetoric. Doesn't sound evil, doesn't sound terrible. And everyone seems to be eating it up. Lavinia, when you're at the clinic one day, Doc Quali opens her eyes and you see her lying on the table. Mm -hmm. She is got this pretty heavy bandage uh, over her head. Uh, one of her eyes is kind of being covered a little bit as the bandage sort of drapes down. Uh, and you can tell that it was some sort of heavy blow uh, that kind of took her and sideswiped her like on her left on her left side like kind of almost caving in maybe breaking something charlotte probably told you a little bit about it lavinia uh but even though she was out for a couple days she seems to have regained some level of consciousness some level of awareness and at a certain point all of you well especially i would say zofia and bear are called to order uh, meaning, Lavinia, you probably have to chase them down uh, as Quilly is aware that you are friends, acquaintances with the two of them. She specifically asks for Irwin as well. Uh, and I don't know whether you say something to her, but uh, she asks for, for all of the people that knew Bruno, uh, uh, essentially. She doesn't ask for Chovy because Chovy's dead uh, or gone Aww. and no one cares. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Screw that guy. Uh, but as as Bear and Sophia come in, uh, I, I I don't know if Hubert is, if you're there or not. Uh, that's up to you. If you want to be scoping out and trying to get more drugs, I was there. Okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> Going through just opening cabinets while, while everyone's talking. You're just opening up medicine cabinets, and everyone like turns over, looks at you, and it's like red light, green light. You ever play red light, green light? <laughs> yeah. You look, and you're like. Nothing. No, I'm not doing anything. Nothing. Nope. That's fine. Chewing on some cotton balls and stuff. You're making weird faces, Coder. You all right? Yeah. Okay. All right. I was being red light, green light. I was like, oh. oh okay. I was running. <laughs> I actually thought you were having a strip. Uh, so that's that's a. Way. I thought you were raising your hand because you no. had to like cough or something. Coder's just like not moving at all. He just like froze his arm up in the air. Very scary. Um, so, so anyway, stop joking. This is a serious matter. There's a child abduction. <laughs> so uh, you guys are brought to Doc Quilly's bedside. <laughs> Stop laughing, Melissa. This is serious. I tried to like not look at you because you had that smile like you were about to smile. So then I turned and I look at Melissa and she's I dying. I always have a shit eating grin on my face. Come on. I think we I think we lost Melissa. She's Please gone. Start over. <laughs> oh, no. This is great. This is great. <laughs> oh. Look at her. Look at her. Look at her go. She's gone. Sail away. Uh, all right. And your reference. So, as I was saying, the woman who was brutally attacked by one of your friends and whose child was abducted by one of your friends 
calls you in to speak with her. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? Why are you laughing at this? This is not funny. I'm not laughing at that. These are residual giggles. Is this my fault for being red like Kremlin? Yes. And then while the person who clearly has a drug habit is going through the cabinets, she pulls you over uh, in in through like a painful voice, her her jaw heavily bruised. And you can see that she's she's struggling to talk, but she tries as best she can to do so. Uh, and she says, Where's the one with the hat? He didn't make it back with us, unfortunately. And you see kind of a, kind of a confused look as her eye, the one eye that you can see kind of darts around. The other is a little... Uh, is, is like barely covered. And you can tell that it's swollen and she can't quite see. Um, but she tries her best. And she says, Your friend, the heavy one, he, he took my boy. He, he took him with no regard for his safety we heard the story you you don't need to push yourself to explain it and she sort of nods a little bit at that because it does help you you people came here and i patched you up and i fixed your hand we are very grateful for what you've done I don't care about your gratitude. I care about getting my son back. You're going to do this. It's not a question. It's just a blanket matter of fact statement. She reads out with like one of her hands and grabs onto your wrist bear, which my is, good one, which is now free. I've been on you recuperated. Oh, You're yeah. good. You've, you've hit it barely, but you did. <laughs> Barely. Not a laughing matter. Gosh, people. This is drama. You will get him back. Sophia will ask her, did anyone see what Cressida has been up to lately? It, it seems like she was really filling Bruno's head with some nonsense. And I've, I have a son. And I am the only truly qualified medical practitioner in Verdum. I don't have time to babysit your friend. I I knew that the elvish woman was trouble. I asked Wilhelms and the wardens to take her away. They were planning too soon when the snows died down. But it doesn't change the fact that it was he who attacked me. Oh no. Not her. She can barely walk still. Infected. I think she might be. 
and then she kind of points to her desk area because she's been isolated back in her in her apartment which is again attached to the clinic Mm -hmm. and she points over at the desk maybe bear you go and you retrieve some papers that are on top of it and you can see that there's like sketchings uh, that a few of you have seen before chadwick sketchings like these kind of strange almost demonic looking like people with heavy armor and contorted faces and the same people we saw at the governor's perch or no 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 okay. definitely now that you've gotten another look now that you've literally spoken with them now i think you're pretty confident at this point that that unless this kid is just like the worst at drawing it's not the case uh, but it seems clear that there's there's sort of a different group like there's just too many things like these spiked shoulder pads with skulls stabbed on top of them these like all sorts of strange spiky armor mutated faces and arms uh, there's like a, a crab or a lobster arm like something like that like a claw uh, chitinous instead of an actual you know, skin and bone arm and stuff like that and that's not what you've seen you've just seen people who are dressed up with heavy furs heavy skins and then kind of grisly masks i think you're pretty confident in saying at this point but when you look at them, you also notice that there's all sorts of blood on them, like fingerprints and things. And you hear Kuala say, like, she was very interested in what he drew. And now she turns to Lavinia and what your mm-hmm. friend described when he was cogent, which was not often. She had some sort of idea in her head about what was north, what was on the ruin. She she might have filled your friend's head's head, he only had one, (laughs) with all sorts of flattery and confusion, but it was ultimately he who made the decision to aid her and you all who made the decision to leave him unattended with her. I think she took them because she's trying to find something. They are looking for the madwoman caller. She kind of looks at you for a second, kind of wide-eyed for a minute, like wide one eye, like kind of looking at you. It's that song that she sings all the time. It's mental poison. And she just sort of like almost rolls around to the folklore. I know it sounds silly, but that is what they are after. And if we are looking for them, we will go north. I will not leave Chadwick to the wilderness. There's you you're, you're smaller and number now you need you need someone else Charlotte thinks that I have been asleep this whole time but I have heard what happened at the nest and that there are 
people perhaps coming down from the mountain. There is someone I think who can who can help with he has more experience and knowledge of the ruin than you do. Most don't know what goes on up at the governor's perch, but I do. Some of it. I was called once a week to patch up the wounds of his playthings, his fighters, his gladiators, his sporting events. And I I met many who came and went, died quickly. Most were selfish and awful people, but not all of them. There were there were some that were decent and all were good at fighting. And I think with your pirate gone, that you you need help and to be frank I don't know if you can handle what's to come. She starts to starts to think a little bit. There was one per- person I've been here for years and and in all that time there was one who remained there. I came to know him well. I think he might care. Things were different, maybe. Sure, it like trails off. And then after a moment, like lost in thought, she says, Vel, Stekis Vel, make no mistake, he, he has an unending reserve of anger and frustration in him, but there is goodness, I think, or righteousness, maybe. I often spoke of him, to him about Chadwick and told him stories about him learning to read and becoming more comfortable with talking. He even answered questions. You know, I, he's not actually mine, Chadwick. And you, you do. Yeah. We found him wandering. He was, he was sickly and afraid and he lashed out. And for the longest time, we thought maybe he was just a, a runaway from the abbey or the refuge, but I think we were just trying to deny what we knew was true, that there's someone else here. And Chadwick came from them. Anyway, if Stekis made it down from the nest, and I'm sure he did, and survived years with 
the governor and the horrors that he was forced to fight and face, then surely you'll help me and Chadwick. And she looks at all of you and she spies like Hubert behind you, pulling a couple ampules out of a cabinet. Unlike the rest of you, I think Stekis would do what needs to be done when you find your friend, Bruno. You don't survive the ruin and the governor's captivity as long as he has without some ability to survive. She sort of leans back at this point, like literally exhausted from talking. If we uh, find this Stachys, how do we know he's going to cooperate with us when we've never met? And so she points back to her to her desk, and maybe this time it's Sophia who goes and reaches to grab something, and and then she waves you off. Then she points somewhere else, and you, you try to grab, and she keeps pointing you until eventually um, you bring over what looks to be a, a bound uh, a bound ball of ribbon that she sometimes wears in her hair, and she says, "Show him." He'll know it's from me. Sophia um, tucks it carefully in her bag. I don't want him to see me like this. Just tell him it's for me. And tell him it's for Chadwick. Will do. Uh, did she tell us what he looks like? Uh, sure. Chadwick? We know what he looks like. Or oh, Stekis? Stekis. Uh, she describes him. Elvish, Elvish man, middle-aged. Like 50-ish, is that right? Yeah, 50-ish, got a hump in his back, kind of has a weird posture because of it. He's not the type of person that most would probably approach to talk to voluntarily. So as you guys leave, you're asking around, looking if there's any sign, like describing this person, hit the box elder, ask around. You uh, hit Loudon, ask around. And then Loudon cries because you hit him and he doesn't understand why. He's <laughs> a very nice man. He's really nice, awful person. I guess just knew his history. Um, but eventually... Uh, Wait, no, let's you... go back to him. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually you uh, you get pointed in like directions and you find that there is a little bit of a, a hullabaloo uh, in one corner of the of the town. And... A couple of people are are talking about some sort of fight or this or that, and and when you when you get a little bit closer, you can see like a little crowd has formed, like this little semicircle around an alleyway. And from what you can gather from the rumors, there was some sort of fight, some some crazy man, like whatever. Just you just he punched him for no good reason. Da, 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 da. And when you you push through, you see. An elven man dressed in like furs and leathers. Is that, yeah. is that right? A carpet. That's a, a carpet. <laughs> no, that's a different guy. Oh, oh geez. Uh, he's got this hunched posture and he's kind of got his back to you. He's standing over top of an individual that's on the road of the alleyway. And he's got his hands kind of hanging down on either side. So there's clear signs of blood. Although the body on the ground is, is like limp. 
for the most part, you can definitely see they're they're breathing, and it's just it's just fairly heavy set man with autumn colored hair and these little gray at the temples. You see that he's taking this uh, this blow to the face on the right side. A few teeth are like kind of scattered around on the ground and in his beard, and one of his eyes is, is is swollen shut. And like you can see at the other end of the alleyway, every now and then, every few moments, someone sort of turns down the alleyway as if they're going to make the shortcut home, and they immediately turn right around, like nope, nope, sorry, not my street. Well, I don't know why I'm here at all. This Taylor is two two blocks over. What's wrong with me? And so you kind of slowly approach. Uh, does anyone call out to him? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh, that, look, that looks like him over there. Lavinia will kind of put her hands on her hips and be like, um, hello, it Stekis. Are you wanting to start something too? Not really, but I would like to speak with you if that is possible. What do you want? Um, Zofia. Zofia is going to reach into her bag and she's going to pull out the kind of ball of yarn um, and kind of not quite hand it to stuck it, just, but just sort of hold it out and just say that um, Doc Quelly has uh, sent us to ask you for a favor. Seeing the ball of yarn, uh, he's going to go over and inspect it, make sure that it looks like it's supposed to, and then say, fine, I'll help you. What is it you want? <laughs>